Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. I also want to say that today is December 1st, and it is World AIDS Day. Uh, professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, and as my listeners know, I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. Sometimes, like tonight, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? On other shows, we host episodes about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. On prior episodes, we've covered topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting history here in New York. We've talked about the history of women activists, the women's women's suffrage movement in the city. We've explored the history of African-American people in New York, going back to the time of the Dutch. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've looked at the history of bicycles and cycling. They've been around for more than 200 years, believe it or not. We've explored punk and opera. Those are separate episodes, by the way. Although for some people, we could put them in the same show. I would not mind that, I suppose. We've looked at some of our greatest train stations and even explored some of our bridges. Yes, everyone, New York has amazing bridges. And even had a show about coffee and tea and the relationship of New Yorkers through the centuries with with those timeless beverages. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can catch us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and there are some other services that I don't even know about, but that carry RSS feed, and you can find us there. Tonight, we're journeying back to my home borough, one of my favorite boroughs, Brooklyn, and uh, we actually are calling the show two neighborhoods that people know it by because they have neighborhood identities, Dipmas Park and Prospect Park South, although in a larger sense, we're looking at Victorian Flatbush. But a lot of people identify this part of Brooklyn by the names. There are actually a couple of other names, including Beverly Square West and um, something having to do with Caton Avenue. Uh, we'll leave that to our first guest. And speaking of our first guest, he's Jeremy Wilcox. He's a returning guest to Rediscovering New York. Jeremy is a licensed New York City tour guide, a New York native, and the owner of Custom NYC Tours. He leads small groups, they're private walking tours, and they focus on some of the city's neighborhoods, their history, their art, and their architecture. Jeremy also serves on the board of guides, the board of the Guides Association of New York City. It's one of the oldest and most active tour guide associations in the United States. Jeremy, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Thank you for having me. You're originally from New York. What part are you from? I grew up in uh, Queens in a neighborhood called Richmond Hill. uh, And I lived there until I was my early 20s. And you actually live in one of the neighborhoods we're going to be talking about tonight. Yes, I live in uh, in Flatbush, just on sort of the other side of the train tracks from Prospect Park South on Alamar Road. Which we'll be talking about this evening. It's one of the grand boulevards of uh, a Prospect Park South. I almost said Dittmas Park, but that would have made me incorrect. Dittmas Park's a little bit south of that. When did you decide that you would go into designing and leading tours for people who wanted to know more about the place that we live in? So I had sort of known that I kind of wanted to do this without realizing what it was probably five years before I became a guide. I would spend all my free time kind of wandering the city. I had this kind of epiphany 
over a decade ago where, you know, everybody complains the city's so noisy, it's busy, it's crowded, it's expensive. And I realized, you know, but most New Yorkers, when I would talk to them, they went to the neighborhood they live in and they went to the neighborhood where they work in and maybe visited a friend. They really didn't explore the city. And I realized people are spending so much money and putting up with so much grief to live here. You really should explore it. So then I started dragging friends along with me. I'm like, have you ever been to this neighborhood? They'd say no. And I'm like, we're going to go. And I would research it. And after doing this for a while, a friend of mine said to me, he's like, you know, this is a job. Like people would pay you to do this, to create tours of neighborhoods they haven't been to. And um, I sort of written that off. And then I started thinking about it more and I realized, Hey, I could, maybe I could give this a try. And uh, about five years ago, I decided to actually give it a go and I've been doing it ever since and actually getting paid for it. That's great. I'm going to ask you about some of your current offerings a little, uh, a little later in the show. Um, Let's move to the neighborhoods and also uh, Flatbush because Ditmas Park and Prospect Park South uh, are actually neighborhoods within a neighborhood. And we can't talk about them uh, until we, I think uh, we have to talk a little bit about Flatbush. Um, when was Flatbush first settled by the Dutch? Because it does go back to the time of the Dutch, doesn't it? Yes, Flatbush is very old. It is one of the original six towns uh, that comprise now Brooklyn. So Flatbush, as we know, it was really founded in 1651 as originally the village of Mitwood by the Dutch. Um, and then the Dutch start referring to it as Vlakbus, uh, which basically meant flat woods uh, because it was just largely forest land. And then when the English take over the New Netherlands colony in 1664, Black Boost becomes Flat Bush. Uh, but 1651 is really when you can date it back to specifically. In fact, at the time of the revolution, I think there were six towns or settlements in the what's now the borough of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and five of the six of them had Dutch names. Yes, the only one that was the English town was Gravesend. It couldn't have been such a great place if it be called the Gravesend. I would have wanted to hang around in some of the Dutch places. Maybe, maybe not. I understand that the Dutch uh, were pretty uh, austere in their in their attitudes about life in those days. Things have changed since then. Um, how did Flatbush develop through the century from when the Dutch were here until uh, the English took over and into the time of the Revolution? Very, very slowly. I mean, it was not developing certainly as fast as its counterpart neighborhoods in Manhattan, really up until the second half of the 19th century, most of Flatbush was still predominantly farmland. And there was still a lot of Dutch families who were living here and owning the land. Now, there were a few prominent families who, you know, were of Dutch origin, including the Leopards family and the Vanderbilt, who did have, you know, beautiful country mansions lining Flatbush Avenue and those places. But the majority of Flatbush, really up until around the 1870s or so, was, was still very rural. Um, so it was very, very slow to uh, develop. I mean, most of the development prior to that in Brooklyn was, you know, further north than what we would consider today downtown Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights and Fort Greene and, uh, you know, places like Red Hook and Bedford-Stuyvesant. Flatbush was really just kind of a sleepy country town for a very long time. Mm. And, you know, one question I, I usually ask at the top of a neighbor discussion, but I didn't this time, I like to uh, honor and acknowledge the people who were here before Europeans came, the local Lenape people. Um, did people, did uh, Lenape live in what would become Flatbush and Ditmas Park and Prospect Park South before the Dutch came? Yes, before the Dutch settlers um, arrived, this was sort of the territory of the Lenape. Um, and they were all over Flatbush, you know, from Flatbush all the way down to Canarsie. Um, and this was sort of their land before the settlement era. Mm. Well, let's fast forward to the Civil War and a little bit after that. Um, what were Ditmas Park and Prospect Park South like until the 
construction of the magnificent homes that we that that we see today. Were there any buildings at all that would have been here before before the kind of houses we see now? A few. I mean, again, it was very undeveloped compared to most of Brooklyn north of it. I mean, again, there were again these kind of country mansions um, owned by you know people like the Lefferts family. There was on Flatbush Avenue, Erasmus Academy, which grew up and to become Erasmus Hall High School. Uh, but Erasmus Academy, which was on Flatbush in that same location by Church Avenue, that had been there since the 1780s. So there were structures there, but they were, you know, very, very far apart. I mean, it was very kind of, if you've been to any type of rural small town, that's kind of what Flatbush was really like. But there's that big old famous church right on the corner of Church Avenue and Flatbush Avenue. Yes, and that's one of the great remaining remnants of the Dutch era. It's the Dutch Reformed Protestant Church of Flatbush. So we were like, say that 10 times fast. It's a fun tongue twister. The Dutch Reformed Protestant Church of Flatbush was founded in 1654 by Peter Stuyvesant, who was the director general of the colony. And the church building you see there now on the site is actually the third building to be there. But that one actually dates back to 1798. So it's very, very old. And the cemetery on its grounds contains the final resting spots of many of the original Dutch families of Flatbush. There are burials in that cemetery dating back to the 1700s. It's really quite a remarkable historical site. Wow, and that can be visited, by the way. Uh, people yes. can go and see it. Um, the city of Brooklyn uh, commissioned the, I don't wanna say the building, but the development, um, the design of Prospect Park uh, after Central Park was done. That would have been in the 1860s. Um, how did the the completion of Prospect Park impact how Ditmas Park and Prospect Park South ended up being developed? Well, obviously, I mean, as soon as Central Park was completed in Manhattan, you know, the land around it became the most desirable real estate on the island. It still is today. I mean, anyone who sees those huge towers going up knows that. And so, you know, certainly there was this belief that that would be the case with its counterpart in Brooklyn. Um, and right away, you know, you had on the northern end of the park, Park Slope is developing, and that's kind of very stately. It's still a very, very well-regarded neighborhood today. And you started having a lot of developers by the time you get to like the 1880s, taking a look at the land south of the park, south of the parade grounds, and realizing that that could be a very attractive place to develop too. So, you know, it was no coincidence that as soon as Prospect Park was completed, developers started buying up land north, south, east, and west of it. And one of the earliest developers was Richard Ficken. Who was he and what was Tennis Court? So Richard Ficken was the very first developer in what would become largely known as Victorian Flatbush, um, which, you know, was this kind of prototype suburban development in the land south of Prospect Park, adjacent to the old Brooklyn Flatbush Coney Island Railroad. And he bought up a chunk of land sort of east of the railroad tracks going up to around Ocean Avenue. And he developed this kind of micro little suburb. The houses were not as large as some of the later ones. Um, and the main sort of stretch of that would have been the street tennis court. And that's kind of a little two block lane that runs from 18th Street over to Ocean Avenue. And was not just kind of a fun play on words. Really the centerpiece of his development founded in 1889 was the Knickerbocker Field Club, uh, which is actually still there in, uh, in some form today. So it was it was not as large or as grand as some of the ones that would follow it, but it was the the prototype for every Victorian Flatbush development that followed. You know, it was very interesting to to find out as I as I was getting ready for the show, Jeremy, that you know, unlike so many city blocks that were uh, subdivided into lots, and you had speculators who bought them, and different developers who uh, would 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 build different kinds of structures. 
um, there actually was a good amount of urban planning that went into the laying out of Prospect Park South and Dittmas Park. Yeah, these were very much planned communities. Um, the lots were sort of laid out. They put all the utilities underground before a single structure was built. You know, the telephone, electric wiring, the plumbing, that was all done by the developers, obviously in concert with the city and the utility companies. And, and yes. there were these very restrictive uh, kind of, you know, covenants and deeds about how the land could be developed, all overseen by the various sort of developers there. So yeah, you were saying and there really wasn't a lot of room for speculation. In fact, a lot of the co- sort of covenants, um, including Fickens and some of the ones that would follow, specifically did not allow for sales to speculators. You know, you were buying a property that you were going to own and develop. And there was also a lot of controls on what could be built and how. Well, many New Yorkers know the Brighton Beach Line, which is now uh, the B train. Um, when did, um, actually, no, the Q tram, I'm, I'm dating myself now. It used to be the D. Well, well the B on. Express still runs on weekdays. Right. On the weekdays, right, right. When did local train service first come to the neighborhood and how did that impact how um, these other developers would, would buy up lots of property and then, and then, and then subdivide it, but do so, you know, as, as, as developments? Well, the, the right of way of the railroad that we know today is the sort of QB Brighton line that really comes in in the 1870s when it was a sort of private commuter railroad, more akin to, say, the Long Island Railroad than to the New York City subway. And originally was the Brooklyn, Flatbush and Coney Island Railroad. Later, it's sort of known as the Brooklyn and Brighton Beach Railroad. And it was this sort of line that was meant to take people from downtown Brooklyn down to these sort of beach resorts that were popping up then. And the developers realized that obviously the access to this railroad, which eventually then goes over the Brooklyn Bridge into Manhattan, this is what makes it very, very key. And if you look at maps of these Victorian Flatbush developments, they're literally cut right down the center by the railroad. So it was this kind of weird duality of building this kind of exclusive planned community, specifically planned around its adjacent convenience to uh, public transportation. And then originally that ran at grade, at street level, Around 1905, that sort of moved into the trench that it's in now, and eventually by 1910 or so, it becomes part of what we know today as the New York City subway. But it predates the subway in terms of the the basic railroad that's there. Oh, I always thought it was that uh, the right-of-way included a trench, but that was only dug in the first decade, like 100 and something years ago, 100 years ago? Yes. Originally, um, in the 19th century, when it was first built, it actually ran at street level. And it was the Victorian Flatbush developers who got it changed, um, specifically um, Dean Albert, because to go, say, walking down Church Avenue or Beverly Road, you had to cross live railroad tracks. And you're trying to sell this very upscale development and having to cross tracks, it's, it, you know, it doesn't seem very, very upscale. So they got the city and the railroad companies to actually move it underground, although it's in an open cut, um, which that open cut basically runs from Prospect Park down to Avenue H, and then Avenue H becomes an elevated line down to the beaches. But that was done at the behest of the developers. Oh, also Just so Cor- it was more easy to traverse the neighborhood. If it happened in 1905 and 1910, that would have had to have been after Austin Corbin was gone. He was the president of Long Island Railroad back in, I think, the 1870s and 1880s. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jeremy Wilcox of Custom NYC, to- NYC Tours. Um, we're visiting Victorian Flatbush, today known as Prospect Park South and Ditmas Park. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. 
love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back everyone to rediscovering new york in our episode on victorian flatbush more specifically prospect park south and ditmas park my first guest is jeremy wilcox he's the founder and owner of custom nyc tours jeremy it must be challenging now in the days of covid to have events what what kind of programming can people take advantage of right now with with custom nyc tours so we're still operating. Obviously, we're not getting the business we would have a year ago, or hopefully we will a year from now. Um, and it's forced guides to adapt. But, you know, I've been managing. I try and keep the group small. Most of my groups are private. So it's, you know, you're not in sort of mixed company. Um, a lot of guides are using, you know, Bluetooth devices so that people can stay further away from the guide and hear them. Um and it's just sort of it's it's adapting, but there's still, you know, there's stuff to do. Um, you know, we've also been working with uh, the Guides Association has an initiative called Tour Your Own City with its own website where guides are putting tours and we have rigorous health and safety guidelines for that. So there's still stuff to do for people who want to go out and do it. Um, and I just, you know, always would advise people to do your research, make sure that these places do have some guidelines for the COVID safety. What kind of tours do you have coming up in the next couple of weeks that people can take advantage of? While I'm still doing my Victorian Flatbush tour every weekend, um, also still offering a Central Park walking tour and a Midtown Art Deco tour. This time of year, I also offer by request a Diker Heights tour, although it's kind of interesting. I haven't actually been down there yet. I'm not sure what they're going to be doing uh, given the current circumstances. So I've been sort of telling people who've been inquiring, like, we will discover together how, uh, how, you know, this is affecting different things. I mean, that's, this has been just a year where tour guides are having to learn and adapt. Um, so I just tell people, you know, we've, we've got to be flexible together. Well, that's good to know because when I uh, eventually do my episode on Diker Heights, we can have you as the, as, as the historian guest for Diker Heights. Um, and how can people find out about you tours? Where can they go? 
They can go to my website, www.customnyctours.com. That has all of my tours listed. You can book directly on the site. I also have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If people want to see photos from uh, some of my journeys to sort of get an idea of what New York looks like through my eyes. But my website, Custom NYC Tours, has all the information they should need. When you look at Ditmas Park and Prospect Park South to the uninitiated, they can seem like you're in the same neighborhood because the houses compared to most of the houses in New York city, they look, they, they look similar. Uh, they look similar. Um, but they're actually not homogeneous. There are actually differences between them. And, and there are differences specifically to these two neighborhoods within the neighborhood, Ditmas park and also prospect park South. Do you want to speak a little bit about the, the differences in the, in the design of the streets and the neighborhoods? Sure. So I think most people, if you just walk through Victoria and Flatbush, you'd never know they were sort of separate developments. Cause again, it is very, you know, homogenous in terms of the architecture. You could walk down Rugby Road from Caton Avenue all the way down to Avenue H. And it's very clear the same Victorian architecture, but they were all completely separate developments. Um, you had, again, Richard Ficken's uh, tennis court, which was the first, followed by, which is probably the, you know, the most prominent one, which was Dean Albert's Prospect Park South, uh, developed sort of in the 1890s. Then you had T.B. Ackerson does the two Beverly Squares, then you have Lewis Pounds doing Dittmas Park. T.B. Ackerson comes back and also does uh, Fisk Terrace. So they're these very, very separate developments, but all trying to be cohesive. You know, they there was once Richard Ficken had kind of created this blueprint for what became Victorian Flatbush, it was all the developers just sort of putting their own unique spin on it. So different but the same is the way I would call each of these districts. Well, it's no secret that I'm uh, a lover of New York, and I think almost everything is bigger and better here than everywhere else. And one of the surprising factoid about these homes is, you know, most people who have seen movies and have been to places like in the Midwest and upstate New York that were developed around the same time that had these gorgeous homes, um, most people don't know that Victorian Flatbush actually has among the highest number, the largest number of Victorian homes anywhere in the United States. Oh, yes, absolutely. And some of them are just really remarkably grand. I mean, you, like I said, you could walk for, you know, an hour or, or, or more just kind of wandering through these streets and you just you'll see block after block of them. And some are just absolutely massive. There's this gorgeous one on the corner of Albemarle Road in Argyle. It's got 10 bedrooms, six bathrooms. I mean, just huge. And the, the beautiful malls on the streets. And even within that recognizable style, there's just so much variety. So if people are fans of that type of residential architecture. I mean, Flatbush is really a treat. I think it's one of the most stunning residential neighborhoods um, in terms of its variety and vibrancy in any of the five boroughs. You know, you mentioned the malls, Jeremy. You know, one beautiful and fascinating part of this neighborhood is that its streets aren't just beautiful, but some of them are also boulevard-like with with medians in the center. Um, It's the only part of Brooklyn that I know of that has these kinds of media aside from Eastern Parkway and Ocean Parkway. But those are different. Those are like huge commercial Mm -hmm. streets with uh, apartment buildings on both sides. But but this is much more suburban. Um, Albemarle Road is known, which is in Prospect Park South, is known as the Grand Boulevard of the neighborhood. But there's another street I want to ask you about. It's further south. It's in Dittmas Park. It's East 17th Street, which runs north south. And between Foster Avenue and, 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 and the Bay Ridge line, the, the, um, the railroad that's sort of uh, also a cut, but that's a commercial railroad. It was never residential. It was never uh, a passenger. Um, how is it that this one additional street 
managed to get a boulevard design in the middle of it and none of the, the other streets around it did. So that's very interesting. So that's the uh, section known as uh, Fisk Terrace, which was developed by T.B. Ackerson. And because he was developing after Dean Albert does Prospect Park South, he's trying to say like, oh, what were the kind of interesting things I saw there I want to do there? And he loved those you know, medians down the road. And there's another section on Glenwood Road that has the medians as well. And that kind of makes sense because like Albemarle Road, that's a sort of east-west running street of the sort of north-south running streets. As you mentioned, East 17th Street is really the only one in that section uh, south of Newkirk Plaza that has it. Why they picked East 17th rather than East 16th or Rugby, I'm not sure. I mean, it is obviously a wider street to accommodate that. Um, I, so I'm, I'm just not entirely sure. The only thing I can think of is as you're coming sort of out of Newkirk Plaza and you just sort of make that quick left, it might be the first street you walk down. So they were just trying to say, like, what's if we're trying to entice people who are coming off the train to buy real estate here, what's the street we want to make a little extra fancier? But it is kind of fascinating. It's just this one aspect of Prospect Park South that T.B. Ackerson's like, I'm going to copy that from Dean Albert because I really like the way it made the neighborhood look. I have an architectural question. Is there any architecture that's specific to the houses in Prospect Park South and Dittmas Park that you don't see in other Victorian neighborhoods in other parts of the, of the United States? That's a good question. I'm not, you know, sure. I mean, each of them are a little bit different. Um, you know, one interesting thing is, you know, in Dittmas Park, for instance, there's a lot of more bungalow style houses versus any of the other areas. Prospect Park South probably has some of the more eye-catching sort of variety um, because John J. Pettit, who was sort of the chief architect of Dean Albert in Prospect Park South, he really put a lot of flourishes on buildings. So you can go on Buckingham Road and see the beautiful Japanese house of Flatbush. If you go on to Rugby Road between Church and Albemarle, there's a beautiful Swiss chalet looking house. There's Neo-Tudor houses. And so that was one thing that Pettit excelled in is, is kind of taking these hybrid forms. You know, in a Victorian neighborhood, you had a Japanese house. You had a sort of Swiss chalet style house. Right next to the Swiss house on Rugby, there's sort of a Spanish mission house. It looks like it sort of escaped from New Mexico. So that's, you know, and you really aren't don't see that in other Victorian neighborhoods throughout the United States. And that's more due to actually John Pettit's sort of architectural flourishes than any of what sort of the developers had wanted. Well, yeah, in my eyes, there are also two other things that you have in Dittmas Park and Prospect Park South that you don't have in most other 19th century neighborhoods in New York City. One of them are front porches. Yeah. Uh, and another are gateposts. You really don't see, I, the only other place I've seen gateposts, and maybe I, have, I haven't been to every single street in the city, but the only other place you see them is, is um, uh, Forest Hills Gardens. Uh, were they sort of designed at the beginning by developers to, to, to demarcate streets and sidewalks? Yes, the gateposts, again, were first introduced by Richard Fick, and you can find beautiful postcards online showing the entrance to Tennis Court at the intersection of Tennis Court and Ocean Avenue with these beautiful brick gateposts that said Tennis Court on them. And Dean Albert basically, you know, took that and he did them at Prospect Park South. His were a little bit more ornate on all of the sort of entry streets into Prospect Park South. You see these big, beautiful brick gateposts that have these sort of neighborhood insignia on them, PSP. Um, And then down at Fisk Terrace, T.B. Ackerson did those as well. And that was just kind of meant to visually cue you into showing you that you were in this planned community. You weren't just going into any other neighborhood in Brooklyn. This was an unusual neighborhood. And the front porches were part of um, 
specifically, you know, when Dean Albert was really the one who did the big porches, he wanted the neighborhood to look open and inviting. You know, there were these rules about how you had to have big, wide open lawns. You had to have big porches. The malls were another way of doing it. He wanted um, as much open space as possible and really wanted to sell that openness. I want to ask you a kind of a nerdy real estate question, but since I'm a real estate and sometimes people think I'm a nerd, I'll ask it. Uh, you know, you talked about how the developers wanted the uh, uh, the environment to look. Did they actually put any restrictions in the deeds for the property after they built them in any of the individual lots? Oh, yes, there were um, particular. I mean, all of them, you know, Richard Ficken had restrictive deeds. Ackerson did. Um, but Lewis, um, sorry, uh, Dean Albert had the most sort of restrictions. You had to have a certain amount of front yard. The front yard had to be a minimum size. You also could not have fences around your property. You could not have hedges in your front yard. You could have hedges sort of on the rear of the house if you wanted a little bit of privacy in your backyard from the street. But um, there were also sort of restrictions on, you know, how the lots could be developed. Very, very restrictive deeds and covenants in Prospect Park South. I mean, literally like down to, you know, how you landscaped your your home well i have one of the questions i want to ask you um it's such these neighborhoods are so beautiful and so unique and i remember them from growing up i I went to school and near there and had had friends who lived in the neighborhood i was always in awe of the houses did the architecture and maybe the the way the cities were designed did that inspire the design in any other neighborhoods in the city specifically in new york yeah, I think the Victorian Flatbush really began the trend away from the typical brownstone and row house development of Brooklyn to more of the suburban style development. I mean, you could see that going down to Diker Heights, which was really developed more suburban and, you know, mostly developed after Victorian Flatbush. And I really think that was the big thing. Developers realized the potential of these standalone homes and what we think of today as a suburb versus the typical, again, row house brownstone mold. Mm. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Wilcox of Custom NYC Tours has been our first guest on this program about Victorian Flatbush, also known as Prospect Park South and Dittmas Park. You can take advantage of Jeremy's tours at customnycdoors.com. Did I get that right? That's correct. Excellent. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by our second guest, who not only lives in the neighborhood, but who helps businesses through a very special business association that's right smack in the middle of it. We'll be back in the middle in a minute. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. And you're back to Rediscovering New York. Support for the program comes from our sponsors. The Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212 495 0317. Our show is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures of this great place. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. It's called Good Morning New York with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Brown Harris Stevens. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property, including Ditmas Park and Prospect Park South. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within the city, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest on this program about Ditmas Park and Prospect Park South is Dina Rabiner. Throughout her career, Dina has supported small businesses and entrepreneurs in marketing, sales, and partnerships. After serving as director of sales and marketing at the local news site, Brooklyner, and by the way, that's B-K-L-Y-N-E-R. For those of us old enough to remember, Brooklyn is B-K-L-Y-N and not all spelled out. And then part of the New York City Economic Development Corporation's Women.NYC program, Dina recently joined the team at the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. She's also the co-president of the Cotelia Road Merchants Association, where she has amplified local Ditmas Park and Flatbush businesses, informing them of resources and organizing local community events. Dina has a master's in city and regional planning from Cornell University with a focus on increasing community participation in the planning process. 
Earlier in her career, she joined the first group of Peace Corps volunteers to be assigned to Albania. And I want to ask Dina about that as well. She's lived in Brooklyn with her family for 15 years, first in Prospect Heights, and then, of course, moving to Ditmas Park, where she now lives. Dina Rabiner, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you for having me. You're not originally from New York, but your parents were. Yeah, I mean, I'm from New York State. I'm just not from New York City. Listen. I grew up in Westchester. And, um, but my parents, my grandparents, you know, we would come here. Uh, my grandparents were in uh, Coney Island. Uh, my other grandparents were in East New York. My dad grew up in Sheepshead Bay. Um, you know, my, you know, so I know I, Brooklyn has always been a part of my life. Um, and, um, uh, you know, for my parents, it was a place they uh, longed to escape from. Um, whereas, you know, for us, it was a place where it was, you know, exciting and interesting and um, an opportunity. So was a Brooklyn your first stop coming to New York as an, as an adult and, and living here? No. <laughs> I mean, I after graduate school, I went to Manhattan. I was working in Manhattan. Um, and then, um, but then after a few years, I actually took a job in like uh, the edge of Brooklyn Heights. And it was right when things were kind of, um, it was like 2000. So when things were kind of changing in Brooklyn, like on Atlantic Avenue and, and so forth. So there were all these new little boutiques. Um, but then it took a while until uh, my husband actually lived in Brooklyn. Um, at the time he lived in Sunset Park. So I would come to Brooklyn a lot when we were dating. So that's how I started to get familiar with him. When did you join the Peace Corps? Was it right after college, Dina? Yeah, I mean, right after college, I actually went to, I worked in Tijuana for an uh, organization um, while I was waiting for Peace Corps to make their decision. And then I went to Albania. They had just opened up the program. Uh, we were the first Americans to um, serve as Peace Corps volunteers and to live in the country after um, a really uh, basically Stalinist dictatorship. Um, so, um, you know, it was a great opportunity. Well, Albania, of course, was like the last Stalinist holdout and probably the most austere Stalinist yeah. state in, in Europe. Um, I'm always in awe of, of people who volunteer and give several years of their lives to better people's lives in the Peace Corps. Um, what had you decided that that was the direction you would take? And the second part of the question is, did you know that when you volunteered that Albania was going to be your destination? No, I mean, for me, it was always just a goal of mine. You know, one was to uh, do the Peace Corps. The other was to run the New York City Marathon. Um, I've done both. <laughs> um, but I just, I mean, I was, I speak a lot of languages. As a kid, I lived abroad a lot. Um, I lived in Brazil. I lived in Japan, um, both, you know, with my family. And, um, but it was, you know, a different type of living than than doing Peace Corps work. Um, so just always just something I want, you know, on my bucket list. Um, and my husband, too, also was a Peace Corps volunteer. So it kind of in our blood. Mm. Did you meet in the Peace Corps? No, no. He was he was in the Central African Republic and he was uh -huh. early er, years earlier than me. When did you join the staff at the New York City Economic Development Corporation? Also, can you talk a little bit about the W about NYC women? So um, last year, I was asked to serve as a consultant 
for a program called Women.NYC, which um, was uh, designed to help promote women um, in their careers, whether they are deciding or well-established. Um, so I was brought on to do live events um, for, for this program. Um, then, you know, when um, the pandemic hit, live events weren't so viable. So, um, so my stint uh, ended after that. Well, a lot of your, so much of your career really is about Brooklyn and I'm a Brooklyn native. And uh, I also grew up in Sheepshead Bay, by the way, uh, where your dad grew up. Um, what kinds of stories or projects did you work on when, when you were at, at Brooklyner? Um, so with Brooklyner, I was more on the um, sales and marketing side. So I was more um, involved with businesses and helping them, um, you know, clearly advertising, but also putting out their stories and um, also organizing events. So I got to know a lot of the different areas of Brooklyn. Uh, when I started at Brooklyner, it was also a, um, um, uh, a, a bunch of different smaller sites. So there was one called Ditmas Park Corner, um, which was um, the one that I was kind of hired into. Um, and then, and then um, ultimately, they all became Brooklyner. So I got very um, involved with local businesses. And that's actually how I got to know the Cortelyou Road Merchants Association, um, because I would go to their meetings, you know, seeing what, what are the issues that businesses are having, how do they get the word out, because there weren't many opportunities for businesses to, you know, there aren't so many newspapers um, for a small business to advertise in or to promote themselves in. So that um, kind of put me in touch with what they were dealing with and how to reach people. How old is the Cotelia Road Merchants Association? Um, it's at least 25 years old. Um, it's had different forms. Um, and um, it was originally started by um, this guy, Gabe, uh, Gabe's camera, uh, which he sadly he passed away uh, last, last year or early. I don't know, maybe it was even earlier this year. Um, but he um, had started the association, um, you know, many, many years ago when uh, Ditmas Park was in a, in a different phase of its life. What kinds of programming does, does the association offer now? So um, we're a member-based association where it's run by volunteers. Um, I'm actually not a merchant, um, and um, which is president, where, by the way, I don't know if, if I didn't say that in my introduction, I apologize, but uh, okay. Dean, Dean is the co-president of the Cotelia Road Merchants Association. Um, but, you know, um, basically we're here, you know, our role is to amplify the businesses to support them, especially during this time of the pandemic. Our role has really um, turned more to supporting them and providing resources and understanding uh, what's out there from grants and funding to PPE and, and so forth. So we've um, really ramped up our communications. Um, whereas prior, it used they used to do a few events, um, and that was about it. Um, so uh, we've kind of been re, you know re, reborn, um, and the team I work with, Susan Siegel, um, who um, used to own the Brooklyn Artery, is also a real estate agent. Um, among many other things. And together, uh, we um, have a, a, other board members um, who, Anthony Finkel, who's a local business owner, Adam Robertson, 
one of the co-owners of Kings County Wines. And then we work really closely with the Flatbush Development Corporation as well, with Lupe uh, Ramsey and Nina Leonard, who are really invaluable to us. If people wanted to find out more about the association, how could they get in touch with you? So you can find us on uh, mycortellu.com or on social, on Instagram and Facebook, mycortellu. Very easy. I, I love that URL, by the way. It's really the real sense of ownership. Um, okay, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Tina Rabiner, who is the co-president of the Cotellu Road Business Association and who lives in Ditmas Park. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back and you're back to Rediscovering New York on our episode about Victorian Flappish, more commonly known these days as Prospect Park South and Ditmas Park. My second guest is Dina Rabiner. Dina is the co-president of the Cortellu Road Merchants Association. You know, I, Dina, I pronounced it a little while ago. My Brooklyn was coming and I said Cortellu instead of Cortellu. Uh, but, you know, for the sake of our listeners who aren't from New York, it's it's spelled Cortellu. Um, you lived in Prospect Heights and now you're in Ditmas Park. Uh what had you decide to move to the neighborhood, Dina? Um, well, I mean, we first got introduced to Ditmas Park. We were invited to a party uh, after my son was born, and we kind of arrived in Ditmas, and we were like, "What? You know, where have we landed?" And um, you know, we weren't familiar with the area at all. 
and um, you know, it was so bucolic and, you know, it was, it had kind of all the best of both worlds from, you know, beautiful homes, quiet streets, and that you were still, you know, just a block or two from the subway. So um, first got introduced and then took many, many years, like 10 years um, for us to finally find um, the perfect place. But um, it was always in the back of our mind as a place that we wanted to uh, come back to and eventually move to. Describe the vibe of Dipness Park. What do you like about it? Um, I mean, like I said, what the it's just very peaceful. I mean, you you kind of you get off the subway, and um, you know, Cortelli Road itself is has kind of a small town village like feel. Um, you know, yet at the same time, it's incredibly diverse. I mean, people are calling it like a restaurant row. You can basically travel the world in like seven blocks. Um, you can get Tibetan food and Filipino and um, Israeli and, and, and everything else, everything in between. Um, but then you go down the streets and, you know, you see these incredible homes and one is, you know, more magnificent than the other. And, you know, nothing is cookie cutter. Um, so, but yet, you know, it, it just, you, you feel safe, you feel calm. Um, and especially during this time, I mean, I've realized how fortunate we are to live in this kind of little village where, you know, you, you, you have everything at your fingertips. Um, and, um, you know, it feels like home and people greet you on the street. And, um, you know, I've lived in other parts of New York City and, you know, people turn the, do their best to just ignore you. And um, I don't find that in Dittmas at all. How long have you lived there for? No. Um, we're at this, like, uh, next this month, I guess it'll be six years oh. since we're here. Have you seen any changes in, in the neighborhood since, since you and your husband moved there? there's definitely been more development, but I would say the development has been a little closer to Newkirk. There's more buildings going up. Um, there's a few new um, buildings on Cortelli Road. Um, but, you know, I feel like people are more aware of Ditmas. Like when we first moved here, people, no one knew what we were talking about. Um, and we only knew one or two people. And now it feels like, um, you know, maybe um, it's a pro it's a product of you know people exploring more, but also I think a lot of the events that we've had, um, people are becoming more and more aware. I mean, this summer, um, Ditmas kind of exploded with music, um, and we had a big event called Make Music Ditmas, which was an incredible success, and the New York Times covered it, and different news um, agencies covered it, and you know you you could hear live music. Um, you know, in seven, seven different porches across the neighborhood, and it still continues today. So it's kind of becoming this cultural center. Well, when does that take place? What, um... it, it, it happens on Make Music. There's Make, the larger organization of Make Music or Make Music New York. It's around, it's like June, I think it was around June 20th. Um, so, um, yeah, and this year was just an incredible success and every, it was, you know, we were blessed with good weather, um, but, you know, people would go from porch to porch and then people would stroll along Cortelli, and it just had that real feeling of, um, like a small town in, in a big city. 
Wow, it almost sounds like I don't know if you've been to French Quarter Festival in New Orleans. It uh, it sounds mm-hmm. like a, a, a Victorian New York version of uh, French Quarter Fest. Unlike Jazz Fest, which is at the track and you have to pay money to go, French Quarter Festival it has these like dozen bandstands set up in the street and people just stroll around, uh, listen to music, and you know take in the beautiful architecture. Um, they yeah. also drink. They also drink on the street, which is legal in New Orleans. I don't suppose that uh, it's allowed in Ditmas, but you never know if the cops will will, will ticket people for that. I might be. Well, wondering. we also had um, theme because of the because of COVID. A lot of musicians who were not able to play had a chance to perform. We had Kenny Barron, who is a in, you know internationally known Roy Nathanson, and many other you know very well known musicians who had the chance to perform live and so was you know is wonderful i like to ask a question of 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 my neighborhood guests is there anything that you learned recently about it miss park that surprised you when you found out about it or that or, or when you experienced it um i mean i've been reading up a, i mean recently not recently. I mean, some of the facts that Jeremy um, shared, I thought were interesting. Like I didn't like even the 17th street malls and like, you know, how that developed. Um, I thought, you know, was interesting. Um, you know, the history of the houses and who lived in these houses is always um, of interest. Um, but nothing specific. I mean, I, I know a fair amount about the neighborhood. Um, but le- le- learning about like my own home, you know, when I moved here, the first thing I did was go down to the Department of Buildings and thankfully found the original plans um, for the home. And, and, you know, it was designed by an architect who lived here. And it's a little bit different than some of our neighbors' houses. So things like that I find really interesting. Mm. As someone who supports local businesses um, in your work with the Chamber of Commerce, but also with with the Merchants Association, um, is there anything that you struggle with in Ditmas Park? Uh, it's well at this time. I mean, you um, we're really focused on recovery um, and access to resources, and because the neighborhood is so diverse, we have a lot of immigrant-owned businesses. So really getting them in touch with the resources that are available to them um, and they don't necessarily have any presence, um, you know, as more and more people go online for, for, you know, for everything, um, you know, we struggle with trying to get them that, um, you know, get them seen. Um, So we're always trying to find interesting ways um, to promote them to the neighborhood I mean, this year for the holidays, it's our whole campaign is everyone's home for the holidays. So whether you want to, you know, find local ingredients to make traditional family recipes or you want to, you know, glam yourself up, like we really want to help all the businesses and not just kind of the um, businesses that that are well established or have strong social presence. Um, so the nail salons, the, you know, the dry cleaners, the, you know, the, the businesses that any neighborhood needs, but tend to be forgotten, but aren't, you know, aren't, are necessary for daily life. Is there any particular kind of business that 
you wish was in the neighborhood right now, but that wasn't. So I always like to ask that question to, in case someone's listening and they're intrigued by a neighbor, do they go, you know, maybe I could be the one who starts this kind of business or, or, or looks into starting this kind of business in the neighborhood. Right. I mean, there's always people are always saying they want a bakery. People want um, more cl- clothing stores or even a thrift store has been um, floated. Um, bookstores. Uh, there were, a while ago, people had asked for an ice cream shop. An ice cream shop actually did open uh, last January. Um, it's actually an ice cream shop and Vietnamese food, um, so which is great. Um, called What's the Scoop? And, um, you know, there's the banks were kind of underserved in terms of banking, um, but just more um, diversity of businesses. There, you know, there tends to be a, a um, move to always open restaurants, but um, commercial corridors need diversity in their businesses. Um, so, um, you know, some of these other types of more retail, um, you know, shoe stores, people want, um, you know, things like that. Oh, all right. Well, Dina Rabiner, co-president of the Cortelia Road Merchants Association. Thanks so much for being my guest on this episode of Victorian Flappish in Ditmas Park in Prospect Park South. Um, you can get a hold of Dina at mycortelia.com. Did I get that right? Yes. Good. Excellent. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us on this program about Victorian Flappish. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategists at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more note before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with all your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant for the program is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. www.talkradio.nyc Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. 
Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.